I love sport because, because of its purity, of its simplicity. But it gives you a sense of identity, whether you as an individual or as a nation. And that's why we love sport. You're listening to Falling in Sport with me, Zamamoloi. We're still falling in love one sport at a time, even in the midst of a pandemic. On this episode, I take you on a trip down memory lane with the football that raised me and millions more. I talk to former Bafana Bafana coach Clive Barker about winning titles, his regrets, and that game against Brazil. We also hear from legendary commentator Mark Gleason about why football has changed for the better. These conversations were recorded before the 2020-2021 season began. Okay, let's fall in spot. Depending how well or badly your favorite team is doing, football can be the ultimate exercise in hope. I grew up on a steady diet of Soweto derbies, football in the street, and a love for South Africa's national team, Bafana Bafana. At our best, we were amazing to watch. That Bafana Bafana was so popular, they even had calendars. Do you know how iconic you had to be in the 90s to get calendars made in your honor? If I remember correctly, at our house, we had the Black Sassel edition. Yes. I still remember Andre Arons' action shot at full stretch, diving to make a save. Despite spending just three years in charge, the architect of that team's success was Clive Barker. Because of his role as coach of that 90s golden generation, Coach Barker is at the center of many childhood memories when it comes to soccer. I recently watched highlights of um, the opening game between Bafana Bafana and Cameroon at the AFCON 96. And it immediately took me back to my parents' couch on that Saturday afternoon, seeing those those first two goals and then the late Shoes Mushou's goal to make a 3-0. What was it like coaching that team? Was it more about man management or was it more more tactics? What, what was it like? Well, I think that was always, always was man management. I think uh, I thought that was the only way to go in football. I always thought that the only reason we could make an impact in the world, world stage was if I got my team to play to their ability, they'd have an outside chance to qualify. And so I concentrated more on on the South African team and then worrying about whether somebody was playing. So I, I thought it was just the way to go. And first of all, just to worry about the uh, the first team and nothing else. That team goes on to win AFCON 1996. So you won that those first two games and then you lost. I remember watching that the, that loss to, to Egypt. And you go and you, you, you go into the quarters, you go into the semis, you, you beat Ghana. Going into that final yeah. game, that final match against Tunisia, what were your motivating words for the players? Well, you know, when you go along and you're qualifying and you're doing this and you're doing that and you're winning, um, I think you just think that you're on the, the right path, but you can always hit the wall and come, come tumbling down. And uh, but it, the African economy was, was a marvellous way for us to show our skills and mm. We had the flair of doctor and shoes, and that was incomparable. Um, the two central midfield players, it was Neil Tovey, McCarthy, and our setup. I think he was one of two players that would have made um, the cutoff. Hmm. Um, I would just thought that um, we had a team that could win the World Cup. Um, and and it, I think it's been proved over the years qualifying to play in the top 10 sides in the world home and away, um, losing only two out of 29 games in Africa and in qualifying. So I just think that they had everything going for them and I just had to guard it the right way and, and sensibly and I think we were able to do that and that's how they get it right to start again. In that qualifying run to to qualify for, for the World Cup in 98, remember that, that pretty much that boxing match in, in, in the Congo what did you say well, to What did you say to the to the guys after that game? I mean, like I remember Mark Fish looking like a boxer that on on that occasion. I think I lost an opportunity. We we saw the game out like that, but as you know, the TV were ushered out of the stadium. <laughs> Everybody that was South African wasn't allowed in, and we weren't allowed to change in the change rooms. Um, it was really, really tough, and um, and I thought to myself, "There's no way that Jeremy and he would have." 
past the bus and gone to the football stadium. I failed to qualify. Um, but we got on with it and we did the best of a bad situation and um, um, we got beaten that day. And, and in the quality of football, I think that they were better than us on the day. Hmm. But um, it was really, really tough to have to, to go through all that. And of course, with um, the fact is that they pulled rifles and cocked them and got ready to shoot us if we were going to do anything right or wrong. But um, it, all, it all ended up in the right way in the end. So there are no, no mistakes of, of the fact that they were better on that day. But they certainly had a lot of intimidation. History lesson for the uninitiated. Congo Brazzaville was in South Africa's group in World Cup qualifying. Sure, the Red Devils won their home match against Bafana Bafana by two goals to nil. But if we're being honest, the Congolese used every trick from the how to intimidate your opponents without killing them handbook. A pitch invasion by AK-47 carrying soldiers, fans storming the opposing dressing room, the works. With both teams on 10 points going into the last round of matches, the return leg in Johannesburg four months later was winner takes all. I'm reminded of then we, we come home and um, that that goal, that Philemon Masinga goal to, to take us to the World Cup. You're looking from the sidelines and you see that go in and you immediately, when, when that ball flies into the net, you almost, as if you were flying with it. Can you take us through that moment when that goal goes in? And the genius that he was, Doctor, of course, he intercepted the pass yes. um, and, and picked it up and he was just outside, uh, we're talking about 20, 30 meters outside the, their goal and he just um, caressed the pass to the Philemon and Philemon got onto it and the ball came over the shoulder and he hit it in a squeeze and it screamed into the back of the net and of course that was the game and goal that took us to to the World Cup. It was fabulous because he's no longer with us today, but I'm quite sure he looks down at, at everything that's football and that's good. He was wonderful around. He was never the favorite of the, of the supporters because he was he was a little bit ungainly, and, um, but he had his way of scoring goals and yeah. we could always around in the big matches to get us one or two. I'll, I'll never forget that because as you say, it settled nasty for them, but actually put it home the right way and, and then took off. And I think I decided to run because the goal I had done that for me in Brazil yeah. uh, played us one evening. <laughs> and I won't, you, you will ask me the question, I'm sure, to say to me, uh, why did you take Doctor off? Sure. And it, it, we'll go through that a bit longer and need a bit of time. Yeah. <laughs> um, just to hop back onto AFCON 96. AFCON yeah. happens, we win AFCON in the aftermath of having where we we readmitted back into world sports. We go to the Olympics for the first time in 92. We have our elections in 94. We win the Rugby World Cup in 1995. And then we win AFCON in 96. Did you think in your mind that this was a opportunity? Did you, did you see it as an opportunity to unite the nation further? Was it for you, this is a coming out party for us? What were your... Did you have any thoughts outside of just playing the game? Did you have any thoughts about what it would do for, for the fabric of the nation? Yeah, I think uh, I, I was at the World Cup when, when, when we won at rugby and Joel Stransky dropped the ball through. Um, fantastic to give us the victory. <laughs> but as he hit it, I sat right behind it and now I feel myself, this is a lot more pressure now because everybody knows that there's most supported sport in South Africa is football. Hmm. Um, rugby has just done a very proud recently, but, but to, to have the responsibility of Nelson Mandela on one side and having to win on the other side, <laughs> and as he hit the wall and went through the repulse, I saw myself cross and he's going to be extra pressure. And you know, he was such a fantastic person, Nelson. He was flying home on Friday, and uh, my niece uh, Susie had answered the phone, and she would come to me and she would say, uh, there's a guy by the name of Nelson wants to talk to you. And of course, um, he was always there for us and prior to the match. And he would put us under all types of pressure. But he knew too exactly that it was the black supported sport that needed to to come and take some of the responsibility and, 
and I did. Uh, it was a fantastic trip uh, in South Africa, and I was only so pleased to be part and parcel of it. My most memorable football memory would have to be um, the 1996 AFCON final. I was nine years old and I went to the final with my parents. I don't think I've ever experienced anything like it since. The vibe in the stadium that day is something that stuck with me and it's definitely um, probably I would say I would mark that day out as the day that I became a true football fan. Memory isn't even close. There's only one contender for this and that's the goal that Simpiwa Shabalala scored in the opening match of the 2010 World Cup. Uh, yeah, the only close second to that is the atmosphere inside the stadium in, in Bloemfontein when South Africa were beating France in our final group game and we had the potential to qualify. That atmosphere was the most electric I've ever felt inside a sports stadium. It didn't happen in a world-class football stadium. It happened on the dusty fields of Ramampana. My mother, a soccer coach, brought her under 13 boys team to watch a game at home. On match day, the kids mimicked what they saw Emerson do on TV. They won the game and won soccer kids for the club. Now let's talk about that Brazil game. Obviously the context was that Brazil had sent a largely under 23 squad in preparation for the Olympics at Atlanta 96. But it's not like they sent over farmers. They had Dede and Goal, World Cup winner Aldair in defense, Flavio Consensao and Rivaldo in midfield. And not forgetting baby cradling bicycle kicking Bebeto up front. Going into that game, how much of a, what was the thought process in we win this game, we stamp our ground as saying we are we're not just fly-by-nighters. I, mean, I remember the, uh, you, you'd see uh, comments about some people saying Nigeria weren't at the AFCON, so South Africa aren't the real champions. And I think to myself, uh, you play who's, whoever's in front of you, whoever's not there, it's, it, that's their problem. So what were your thoughts going into that Brazil game? I just remember watching that game just being glued to the screen. That Bebeto goal obviously was, was a downer, but to see South Africa compete... Yeah, I thought we got so much out of that game because nobody gave us a chance. And um, that night, uh, we saw the magnificent skill and flair of uh, Dr. Kamala. Mm. He, was, he was absolutely brilliant. And he, he dictated the whole game against the side that was uh, arguably the best in the world. And, and he made them look very ordinary. And only he could have done something like that. Shoes was very, very close to him. But if he had to pick a choice and I didn't want to make publicly a choice I would always always go doctor because uh, a doctor created more chances in front of goal uh, than any other player that we had and he would set things up and, and he had the ability and, and that night what happened is unfortunately I made a terrible decision I apologized to South Africa many many times and I took doctor off and the funeral up um, he's got his version of what what went was on the half time setup. Uh, but unfortunately, it didn't work out well for us, and we went from 2 0 up to 3 2 down. But, but having taken Brazil so far as, uh, on that ride, yeah. it was an absolutely magnificent performance. And you did. I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. No, you... I've only watched it over the last couple of months. I'm, I never watched one of our games. Wow. Um, and I never got that serious about football. But I, but I was a fanatic and wanting to win and wanting to know the way to win. So I was, I was a lot of that, but um, I missed a lot that off that evening because we had them against the wall and I should have stuck it away and, and I didn't. But my car was huge and it was easy to see. My favorite player has to be Manuel Neuer. I remember I used to think uh, his, his name was was never, <laughs> but um, 
the way the way he played the way he changed the modern goalkeeping uh he became a super player he was an he was an option for his teammates and that allowed uh Bayern Munich to be able to play higher up because they knew they had someone who'd clear the lines from a long ball so the way he played he changed the modern uh goal player Zidane is a star but I think uh, my favorite player I'd have to give it to Xavi I'm um, also I think because of the the time frame I was in and I was starting to coach and um he was interviewed and he said that every 3 seconds he keeps his head around he keeps on looking for opportunities on where to pass and what to do even when he doesn't have the ball that by the time he gets the ball he knows what to do with the ball so for me um I give it to Xavi For me it's all about people who have just brought joy to the football field guys like Benny McCarthy um Gift Leremi Oji Mabizela Lucas Gadebe Ronaldinho uh Xabi Alonso Leo Messi Cristiano Ronaldo regardless of whichever team you support there are people who just show kind of the kind of skill that you can just stay in admiration I'm just reminded of where you were talking about doctor. I know it's hard because it's almost like choosing your your favorite child as per se. But who was your most favorite player to coach during that era? There were different players at different shows. I mean, Lucas Rodelli recovered to to play a big part in us winning the Afcon. Um, I did. I just think that there were different times for different players, but I think this is consistently. I looked at the doctor that night against Germany. Mm. Um, I left them to last in the team talk and, and I said to them, doctors, and your only, your wife, your mother, and your granny uh, thinks that we can win this game and things like that. I said, but uh, when you get out there tonight, on the first time you get the ball, no matter where you are, do something to get that crowd on our side. Hmm. And as the ball came to him, he slowed it down and he pushed the ball right through Muller's legs. <laughs> um, And we, and we got we were on the way, and I remember Betty Fox saying to me when we walked across the field, he said that's the worst, that's the most you've ever seen a German side turn inside out, and and even as I knew, so right at the end had a great chance yeah. to make it uh, win for us, but just didn't quite get it. It was a good shot at goal, and the goalkeeper turned it around for a corner. On reflection. Dr. Kumalo played a hand in all three goals that changed South Africa's football history. He took the free kick that led to Mark Williams' opener in the AFCON final, and it was his tackle and pass that set up the nation builder for his second. Again, 16V's ability to turn defense into attack in a split moment saw him intercept a loose Congo pass before feeding Filma Singer for that goal to send Bafana to the World Cup. Looking back now, I think Doctor wasn't just a skillful player. In his prime, he was truly the complete package. That's uh, when I look at different times, different players, they all came to the party. And I think the game that sticks in my memory for the rest of my life will be the night against Ghana. Mm. Uh, so I thought that uh, Nigeria were there because of the various reasons. Uh, nobody would have beaten that night. In fact, we would have won any against any team in the world. Oh, absolutely. Uh, which I say really well. Um, but unfortunately, it didn't turn out like that against Brazil. So, so for the last time, I'm going to say to the people, <laughs> um, I was delighted about everything, but I made the wrong decision with Doctor. So, <laughs> everybody, I'm sorry. <laughs> you are forgiven. Many times over, you are forgiven. One of the seminal moments of my sporting memory is the day I heard Clive Barker had resigned as Bafana Bafana coach in 1997. As African champions and World Cup bound, South Africa competed in their first FIFA Confederations Cup in late 97. A 1-0 loss to the UAE, a thrilling 2-0 draw against the Czech Republic, and a nail-biting 4-3 loss to Uruguay, so Bafana crash out of the tournament in the group stage. As soon as South Africa's exit was confirmed, calls to drop Barker's head coach grew. Safa didn't back their man, and he left instead before they could fire him. I remember former SABC Sports host Brian Mulder broke the news to the nation. They played a montage of Barker's achievements, 
and his energetic sideline manner. And the soundtrack they used was a song I've never gotten out of my head since. Search for Walk Away by Cast on YouTube. That's the song they used. Walk Away. What was it like saying goodbye to, the, to that team? Because you'd taken us to the World Cup. It felt in that moment, it felt like, I remember as a young person feeling like, this is, this is not right. Despite you leaving, despite you resigning, it just felt like I was, it felt like we were being robbed. Can you take us into the decision-making, into you walking away from the job? Yeah, it was on the plane coming back from, I think it was England. Um, and I think I, I was, the players were all sitting up and talking to each other, and they were in our seats of the airplane. And, and I, I just thought to myself, you know, do I need this anymore now because um, I've, uh, I think I've done enough of this, I said, and I've, Wanted to, I didn't want the extra pressure because building all the time because mm. what we had done to Sarfa was to get the 10 top world sides mm. and we, we just about got them Germany and the likes of Argentina and all the good good sides and we were very close to beating them or drawing with them and, and I was very very happy the way it had gone and then all of a sudden it came home to me that uh, maybe the people did not got it right that's why I've been there too long and I think also the hierarchy like the fact that it, it was like Barclays babes instead of Manchester United's babes, no country babes. So I just thought um, at that stage maybe it would be the right move to to move on. And so I called the players and I said, let me get back to South Africa. I've got some maybe good news, bad news and different news, but um, um, I'm no, gonna, no longer going to be the coach in charge of I think in retrospect now, um, there was a coward's way out. I should have stuck in a bit longer and walked away from it for uh, a couple of weeks. But it was getting close to the World Cup and mm. the preparation had to be good. And of course, they went for, I think, Dr. Charlie uh, Java at first and then Phil's uh, Kelsey. And, and I think Kelsey, unfortunately, didn't quite deliver, and I think that one thing I do regret is that I let the players down um, in the choice of design, and I should have played on a little bit longer, and, and I would have got it right. And I don't say we would have won the World Cup, mm. but I, would, I do know that we would have had a much happier face mm. representing South Africa and the coaching side of it. So, um, anyway, that's all history now, and it's like the, the new hierarchy can turn this thing around again, and but it was mom to saw around, except when I left the players down. I should never even apologize for that. Sure. Well, thank you for that perspective, Coach. Uh, I really appreciate that. I think that brings a lot of yeah, yeah. a lot of closure, and uh, for me, in terms of that decision and what happened there. And I really, I, I think you aren't you you saying what you're saying now brings a lot of closure for me in that respect of, okay. Good. And and, and I think a lot of people want to would have wanted to hear that, and I really appreciate that. Football has taught me that talent alone is not enough. You have to, to work hard. You, you need to have the right attitude. You need to develop certain principles, especially teamwork, as understanding that uh, the name at the back doesn't really matter than the name on the left side of your chest, which is the badge of the team that you play for. The game has taught me to, to always focus on my strength um, to be able to plan for the future, to to take bits and pieces from everything around me. As a team, you you learn from other teams so that the wheel of cycle becomes easier as you remodel it to, to fit your strengths. I think what I've learned from football is that there's no language barrier in football. There's no cultural barrier in football. There's only football. And in any corner of the world, the language of football can be spoken and understood and enjoyed and appreciated. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Football has taught me that um, it has the power to change entertainment 
into identity it, it can give a person a place of belonging i think it has taught me that even the underdog can go on to do really well and th- and i know that's the thing we always talk about f- with with regard to football about how um anything can happen and you can never really make predictions when it comes to football and life is pretty much that same way too football tells stories of hope and inspiration every day we saw Leicester win the English Premier League not so long ago and who would have ever imagined that you've managed you've coached several clubs um and a recurring theme is Amazulu i think of you leave Bafana and you go and you coach some other teams but it just it occurred to me the other day did you ever get any approaches from chiefs or pirates cuz you were the coach you were you were Clive Barker you were the epitome of a south african coach did you ever get approaches from chiefs or pirates to to lead the, their respective teams i think the only time was um when Charles I would have spoken to me about the national job and I was walked out the who worked with me at Puma mm. and had uh, moved on to, to Joburg. Um and so I, I think it brought to that stage that Kaiser might be interested but I know that knew that Mark was away from Durban and and me going up there would have made it much harder for business wise. Um so that's the reason I didn't get an offer, I think, because I never pushed it. People would have thought um would I like to have the opportunity? Gosh, I would have loved to have uh, the top side in cars I had in 1992. I think he would walk backwards in coach that mm. team. Um, but I think the best team I've ever had in, at a club level mm. was by far Bushback. Yes, the 85 um, winning team. Professor Ngobani, um, Calvin Peterson, Mark Mangada, Dave Watterson. All international players and, and would have played for the fun of the fun they had a bit younger. Hmm. Um, absolutely terrific all around and was able to score the quality of goals that they did. Calvin Peterson, no field up front. Uh, Professor, I could watch him all day hmm. and he would take the balls out and juggle yell and do this and do that. Hmm. And I remember when they ever went um, uh, to Kaza, sorry, to, to play. Um, the size down in Cape Town. Yeah. Uh, Professor would say to me, why are you looking so worried, coach? He said, you know, this is my, my territory. And he would go in there and he would dictate the whole thing and it was absolutely marvelous. And I, I might have the correction here, but I think that they won the league without losing a match. Hmm. Um, and then they lost a couple of rather than, but they had won the league well, well in advance before they'd ended. Um, I think the, the fact is that Along the pilots, it would have been a good challenge. And I think the very, very to work for was cars in the front. You only got to see the, the patience he showed to his team. He mm. was a great leader and, and also a good, very good footballer. Mm. Very elegant. And, and of course, uh, Ryan Duke, as he was known, was a terrific person. And I remember when we had that problem up in uh, Congo. Yes. On the Saturday afternoon, how he walked through there and just read the rifle that was pointing in that direction. Um, when we had all that problems, and of course he was just exactly how strong he was. Sure. And they, they never did, and maybe, maybe it would have been too easy to win something. I don't know, I don't know, <laughs> but uh, they had magnificent teams. But uh, the best team that I ever handled, uh, no doubt about it, was Bushback. Onwards I was covering uh, soccer for the Daily News in Durban, um, and I was also lucky in that Bushbucks were the champions that year. Clive Barker was the coach. It was a magnificent team. Lungisi Ngubani, Daniel Ramaruzzi, yes. uh, Mark Tovey, Mike Mangena, he was my favorite player. He was magnificent. Kelvin Peterson, Ian um, Chester, Dave Waterson was the goalkeeper, Raul Gonzalez. Come on. And as they got better and better through the year, so I traveled with them to away games to cover it for the, for the, for the paper. And my own profile um, obviously increased and I got a job at the star. So, so um, I'm very grateful to Clive Barker and to Bushbucks and to that <laughs> whole group of players who welcomed me as a, as a young 21, 22 year old wow. and allowed me to insider access and allowed me to cover them as they won the championship. That's the voice of Mark Gleason. 
Whenever Bafana Bafana would play on the national broadcast in the 90s, there were always two things I could expect. The blue score bug in the top left corner. At the time, no other team got that. And the commentary of Mark Gleason. I grew up loving his voice and commentary style and secretly always wondered where his journey with the beautiful game began. Uh, I was lucky in that I, I, I was kind of from a, a, a football family. My, my father played, uh, he came from Pretoria. We, we grew up in Pretoria as young kids. We went to football. We, went to, we were big Arcadia Shepherds fans. Oh. Uh, in those days, let's say I was sort of eight, nine, ten years old. I played in the junior team there. I went to every second Friday night or Saturday night when Arcadia were playing at home. Um, we, my parents took us to watch. So we were, you know, we were proper traveling, uh, proper supporters um, with the rosettes on and I uh, absolutely loved it. I mean, I don't remember much about the football, but I loved the crowd. <laughs> the night the, out. Yeah, the night out and just the atmosphere and the swearing. I love the swearing <laughs> and, the, and, the, and the humor, you know. And in those days, of course, it was apartheid. Um, this was in the mid-70s. I mean, my first season I can really remember was 1974 in the old white-only National Football League. Arcadia won the, won the treble. Um, they were they were a magnificent team. Roy Matthews was my big hero. Uh, he he later became, of course, a very successful coach with Joe Cosmos. Yes, um, and and uh, the the crowds were segregated then, and you'd have like a you'd have three quarters of the crowd would obviously of the stadium would be reserved for whites, mm. and then there'd be sort of like a a black section which was always packed, and it was always where the best humor was. You know the um, <laughs> the the. And we would sit often very close. My my father loved the humor, and we all go and we'd sit very close to the fence, and um, and we'd listen to to the banter as it were. Absolutely loved it, um, and I was besotted from right from the beginning. And of course, my my team won everything in those early days, <laughs> and then um, yeah, so it grew from there. I mean, I think uh, you've got to have that kind. Of, you've got to have those kind of influences in your life, and I'm very grateful that um, that my that my parents did that. Mark, where are the the player where, where, in terms of diversity in South Africa? Obviously, South Africa is probably one of the most participated sports by the populace. Um, but in terms of demographics and spread, where's the where are the Indian players? Where are the white guys who are playing who have obvious talents playing five aside, and we see them week in week out when you go to Tuesday or Wednesday leagues? Where are those guys in terms of coming through playing actual football? Or is it a case of for them? It's a thing of this is just a this is just a, a, a midweek thing. I'm not really keen. Where are those players? No, I think it's a, I think it's a it's a racism thing. To be honest with you, it's um, you, you know the 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 structures of what used to be sort of white amateur football, Indian amateur football, mm. have have broken down because of integration. They you know they the. There has been there is a reluctance on the part of white people to get in their car now and to go on a Saturday afternoon to Kaya or Soweto or wherever it might be and play amateur football. Um, it's 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 a function of integration. It's the same as what happened with, with white people and watching football. You know, there were healthy mm. crowds in the nineteen seventies. Uh, when I was a young boy of white people who loved their football and went to watch. And then when, and then when um, the race barriers broke down and the, and the, the, the white league, the NFL joined the black league, the, the, the white league actually folded into the black league. Great irony in those days of apartheid. <laughs> um, the crowds just disappeared and it's a racism thing. You know, people don't, didn't want to go and, um, and and sit with fellow South Africans in the stand. I think we we've got to be candid about it, you know. And I think this mm. that's the same as what's happened with with amateur footballers. People don't want their to let little Johnny go and uh, and play and play football potentially in a township on the weekend. Um, and I think it's wrong, you know. It's it's sad. It's very very sad that that um, that's the approach of of the minority communities in this country that don't want to uh, integrate themselves better with the majority, if, if I can put it that plainly, I think, um, and, and, and we will only start, we, we see less and less, um, young white boys and Indian boys and, uh, coming through the ranks because they don't, they don't play as much football as they did before. Sure. Um, 
and and that and that is to the detriment of um, of, of our national team eventually because yeah. you know uh, each each group I think does bring uh, its own little positives to the party. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you can't force the horse to water. Uh, you can put the water out there for them to drink, but it doesn't mean they're going to drink it. And that's, it's, I think it's a real sadness that, uh, that um, we still don't have the, the right attitude towards participation and integration. Now, when I think of voices that raised us um, in this last year where we've lost a powerful voice like Kaunda and Dunja, and I think about the voices that raised us, that raised me in particular, I think of Obab Zama Masondo, I think of you, and I think of Martin Tyler. Martin Tyler, Premier, because of obviously his work with the, with the Premier League, but also because yes. he was the voice, he's, he was, he's been the voice of FIFA uh, pretty much for 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 most of its of its popular run and when i think of these voices that pretty much raise me in terms of um growing my love for football i want uh, my question is who who influenced you in terms of your foot your your as you've grown in your comment commentating style and how how you you tell the message or you you tell the viewer yeah, I think Martin Tyler um was always one to listen to um i try not to 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 listen to too to too many guys too often, if you know mm-hmm. what I mean, because mm-hmm. you do tend to almost subconsciously copy, um, and so you you try and mix it up. I mean, today there's so many different commentators out there, and, and many guys have got their have got their own uh, way of doing it. But but I, I like Trevor Quirk very much as mm-hmm. a youngster. I think I copied a lot of him subconsciously. Martin Tyler sh- certainly. I'd say those were the two. Yeah. Um, I do. Uh, you know, I was very conscious right from the beginning that television um, was different to radio and it was, you know, much more about identification and information as opposed to description, which, which is what radio is. You've got to paint the picture for the, for the listener who Mm. who can't see. Um, And a lot of TV commentating in South Africa, even to, to this day still is, is, um, is almost painting a picture that the viewer can see because a lot of the guys come from a radio background. Yeah. So I was always very conscious that you, you mustn't do that. You know, you must, it's, it's obvious that the ball is moving from left to right. The guy can see it, but who, you know, but, 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 or the ball is just crossed the halfway line. The yeah. guy can, the, the viewer can see that, but, uh, but who is delivering it and, 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 and then, you know, just offering some little tidbits of information here and there without overwhelming. Um, it's not necessarily the best style. Um, but but uh, it's one that I think Martin Tyler was very good at, mm-hmm. and um, and and that I enjoy listening to. So so that's the one I sort of look to employ. Rather uh, rather say less than more, but also not too little yes. because you've got to keep you've got to keep some interest in the game. So the best goal I've ever seen. There's got to be two. First, Cristiano Ronaldo's free kick against Portsmouth in 2008 that he took from about 30 yards away. It's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And then there's Wayne Rooney's goal that won as the match against Manchester City. It was a bicycle kick and the match ended 2-1. It, it happened late in the game, I think 70-something minute. Also, just goosebumps every time I replay it or I think about it. As an Arsenal fan, it's painful to say this, but Michael Essien's shot from outside the box against Arsenal, where he hit it with the outside of his foot and bent it from outside the post to in, that was an absolute scream and I couldn't believe what I'd seen when that ball went in. Sticks to mind is um, the UEFA Champions League 2001, uh, Real Madrid versus Bayer Leverkusen. Um, a cross came in from the left from Roberto Carlos. As he crossed the ball, um, Zidane volleyed the ball in with his left foot, um, which was his weaker foot. For me, just that quick thinking, um, I've played that video over and over again. Um, he had three seconds actually to think how he's going to shoot that ball and how he executed it. I think that was great. I'm from Limpopo, so the answer is kind of obvious. It has to be Oscar Rini's extra time equalizing bicycle kick goal against Pirates. Sure, that was a mouthful. He was nominated for a FIFA Puskas Award and Ronaldo said that he deserved it. So having coming from also from a, a writing background, you're also the 
the editor of Kickoff magazine uh, at some time in the past, from a bird's eye view of football, as you are there, obviously you're, you're seeing it pretty much. How has the game changed for you? It's changed massively to the positive. I mean, I think it's it's so much nicer now. It's it's more exciting. It's much more athletic. Um, mm. It's it's much more of a contest between top quality athletes. I mean, you know, you hear a lot of guys saying, "Well, in my day," or you know, it's football is not like it used to be. I think that's all a load of rubbish. You know, <laughs> football in if if you think about it, just logically, football in the seventies and the eighties was semi professional. Mm. Uh, guys. Um, a lot of guys had sick, had jobs. A lot of guys, uh, certainly they did not train the way they do now. They train three nights a week or four nights a week. You ask even, even a generation that's just passed now, you know, uh, people like, let's say, uh, Neil Tovey, Mark Tovey, they'll tell you when they started playing professionally at Durban city, they only mm. trained three nights a week. Now, how is it physically possible that they could be that they that that kind of player can be anything like the athlete that we see today. Sure. Um, today's game might not have as much um, opportunity, might not have as many goals. I I don't think I think it has as much flair as it had in the past. It might not yeah. have as much showmanship because it's a lot more professional, but mm. it certainly has as as has as much flair, if not more, because you need skills and flair more today. Um, because it's so difficult to play because you're playing against, you know, someone who's, who's well-prepared, who's um, athletic, who's fit. It's not like it was in the past at all. So people who sort of hark back to the old days and, and, and paint this picture that we're not watching football today that is anything like the quality of the past, I think mm. they're talking rubbish, you know. Yeah. Football is better every single year. I'm a great believer in these are the days, not those are the days. Okay. Now, what, what I wanted to ask then is, is there ever been a game that you actually felt like, I wish I wasn't behind the mic and I actually wish I was in the stands looking at this game and not having to relay a message about it? I get a little bit nervous when South Africa play, but, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I, do like, I do like to see South African sides do well when they play yeah. in, in African competition. I mean, one of the nicest games I ever watched was in my own lounge uh, when I think Pirates played Esperance yeah. 2013, I think I'm right in saying semi final of the Champions League. They drew 1 1, they drew 0 0 at home, yeah, and they drew 1 1 away to qualify for the final where they lost to El Akli. I think yes. uh, Roy Mahmutsa scored the equalizer. Um, but it was it was one of those games where one of the few games where I sort of cheered a team, but ordinarily I would never cheer Orlando Pirates, nor would I cheer Kaiser Chiefs, nor nor would I cheer Mamelodi Sundowns. But I, you know, when they played Zamalek, I mean, I, you know, we all, I mean, this, it's impossible not to want them yeah. to win. But I very rarely feel the need to support. And if I uh, watch a football match, I sit down, not taking a side, uh, mm. I sit down with a cold eye and I look at the formation and What's the coach trying to do here? And, um, you know, who's playing well? This guy's not getting in the game, that kind of stuff, as opposed to, come on, guys, we need to win. You know, that's yeah. that's not, that's over the years, I've kind of evolved away from being a supporter. And it's, it's you get accused a lot, yeah. uh, particularly on social media, you know, <laughs> when, uh, when you say something, oh, that guy's a Sundowns fan, or oh, that Gleason, he only loves Orlando Pirates, you know, he hates Kaiser Chiefs. And then in the, the same uh, day, someone else will tweet, oh, you can hear every time Chiefs go on the tech, the excitement in Gleason's voice. And <laughs> to all of that, I mean, it's all perception of the, yeah. uh, of the listener's ear, but I genuinely, I genuinely have no passion for any PSL club whatsoever. My team died a long time ago, okay, the Shepherds. Why I love football? This one I had to dig deep. But football has been a way of life. It has been more than just a game. I had something to look forward to. Um, like to do extraordinary moves, to to do a spectacular save and the sense of accomplishment after after such moves and everyone would look at you just like you performed uh, a magic trick. Football messes with our heads and knows how to play with our heartstrings. I mean, where else could you hear a commentator saying that someone has an intelligent right foot? It is the best reality show because it's unscripted. 
you can never really tell what will happen until uh, the final whistle is blown. I love football because some of my best childhood memories are centered or focused around football. I used to watch a lot of football with my father growing up. He was a huge Morocco Swallows supporter. So you can imagine how happy he is now that they're back in the premiership. But yeah, so just great memories, bonding with my dad. They've always involved football. And honestly speaking, very few things make me as happy as football does. You've seen a lot of players come and go. Are there any players that you saw when you saw them for that first time and you thought to yourself, my goodness, this guy is going to be special, either local or international? I think that a lot of these guys evolve. I remember, I remember Karma Billiard coming on at the, as, a, as a substitute for the very first time for Ajax. And I remember making a mistake because I, I didn't know who he was and I hadn't done my homework. And Billiard <laughs> is, 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 a, is an Ivorian name very common oh. Ivorian name. And I said, oh, I ex a youngster from the Ivory Coast, Karma Biat. And of course I was completely wrong. He came from Zimbabwe. <laughs> um, it was a very bad mistake. And, and um, I remember that and I remember him coming on and thinking, oh, this guy's something. I remember Dane Clay coming on for his first appearance as a substitute. I was the commentator there as well. Mm. Um, but you don't really have a sense at that stage that they are going to become um, they are going to become special players. I mean, we got very excited about a player like Siwakla, for example, when he was yes. 15 years old or 16 years yeah. old, and he scored for Ajax against Dynamos, the youngest ever player in a, in, a, in a South African professional match, as well as the youngest ever goal scorer. Gordon Ingerson, I think, was the coach who gave him his first chance. And there you think, okay, wow, this guy, you know, he's 15. I mean, can you imagine what he's going to be like at the age of 20? Yeah. But then things just didn't turn out for him, you know? Um, so to be honest with you, there's never really been like a, a wow moment. I think it's a, a lot of it's an evolutionary process. I mean, I, I remember going to watch, not for television, but just going to watch um, preseason a couple of years ago, Vitz had a tournament um, where they would invite three other clubs. They do it behind closed doors. Hmm. And they play, um, they play like each other 45 minutes and they sort of rotate and it gives coaches a chance to use basically everybody. And Aces had Tembazwani there. And, uh, um, he, he was Sundown's property, but he wasn't really in the team. He'd been loaned out somewhere else and then he was, Aces were going to have a look at him. And because they didn't play him in the first 30-minute scrimmage, Olzwani got a, a, a long lip about it and left the stadium. And they all went rushing <laughs> after him to sort of bring him back and say, hey, where are you going? You know, we, we're going to play you. Don't, don't worry. You know, you'll get a yeah. chance. And uh, I remember him on that day not being anything special. And you're thinking, well, you probably won't keep him. You know, first of all, after his petulant uh, walk-off, yeah. followed by a fairly mediocre um, performance, you know, this guy's not really going to get a contract at aces and uh, he's not really going to amount to much. Now you, you take forward the clock. I mean, he did get a contract with aces. He was had a great season. Sundowns saw the mistake of their ways, brought him back into the team. And I think he was the best player last season. I think uh, the, the award for the best footballer for this recent season that's just been completed should be given to Tim Bazwani. So, you know, how, what a difference it is from, watching him at the Vitz Stadium probably, I don't, can't remember now, let's say six or seven years ago, or maybe mm. even five years ago, um, how, how, you know, how things have changed for him. So, yeah, uh, there's, there's very rarely those kind of um, lightning moments in, in player recognition. I think a lot of it's very evolutionary. Mm. Okay. Lastly, is there a game that springs out to you, which is hands down your favorite game to have commentated? The biggest, the biggest game I ever did was the opening game of the World Cup um, in '98 when South Africa lost to France in Marseille. Oh. And I still have a certificate here on, on the wall in my in my office that says um, you participated in the in the biggest television um, event of SABC history. It was it sure. uh, that game had the biggest audience. It broke the record which was set when Mandela left uh, Victor Foster prison in, wow. in Paro, you know, the, the live yes, coverage yes, yes. of the, the walkout of him walking out and people had never seen him. Remember people were waiting, had only got these old 
black and white images of this youthful man, you know, with a big side parting. Yes. Um, <laughs> no one had seen him. And so can you imagine how many viewers they had that day watching mm. just for a first glimpse of Mandela? So that first World Cup game broke the record. And I think, I think I'm right in saying it's, it's, it's still one of, I mean, I, I presume it's been beaten maybe, mm-hmm. maybe by the first game of 2010 when Shabo scored that goal. Yes. I would presume that the record's been beaten, but I have a certificate here that says um, I participated in that, uh, in that record-breaking broadcast. I remember very little about the broadcast. Um, I just remember <laughs> being very conscious of the fact that, you know, we were probably going to speak to the largest uh, audience in, in South African television history and being a little bit nervous about that. But the game was very, very disappointing, as you as you, as you will remember. Sorry, you know, yeah. you Painfully know, so. France, Painfully um, with so. Two, with two own goals. Huh? Um, oh. But yeah, those, those uh, just to be at, those were massively historic moments of South African football. And to be there and to have been the voice on television is also a special privilege. One of the takeaways from my conversation with Mark is how he, as a commentator, is always being accused of being biased. Personally, I think it's unrealistic for the public to think that people in sport shouldn't have a favorite team. Like saying a chef isn't entitled to having a favorite dish. You're not going to accuse that chef of doing a substandard job of cooking your meal just because her favorite dish is something else. But I digress. Former Italy coach Arrigo Sacchi once said, football is the most important of the least important things in life. Yes, it is just a game at the end of the day. But what a beautiful game it is. Thank you for listening to Falling in Sport. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode and suggestions on future episodes. Also, if you're a fan of another sport and would like your voice featured in the memories and thoughts for upcoming episodes, you can send us an email at fallinginsport at gmail.com. To make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, subscribe to and rate Falling in Sport on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Iona FM, or wherever you listen. Oh, and give us a follow on the socials too. Talk to you soon.